here with Natasha Edwards, uh, this classmate of mine. We've worked on a few reparations projects together, things of the like. Um, and we're just going to kind of jump into a discussion about um, June Jordan's Where is the Love kind of oratory presentation. Uh, I'll start really with saying this is this class for me, this Black Feminine class I'm taking with Dr. Gamble is my first introduction to like formal feminist thought. Um, and so it's, it's been eye opening so far. Like it's only been like, like three weeks, but like, it's, it's been like really interesting to sit down and read some of these things. And we started by reading like the Kumbahi River Collective Statement, which essentially is this, I, I hesitate to call it a manifesto because manifesto has such a negative connotation. It's, it's really just this culmination, I think is a better word to use. It's a culmination of just the, the basics of what is behind, you know, black feminist thought. Uh, and this piece by June Jordan was really interesting because it, it presents, it presents it in practice, I think, and kind of in a lot of ways, in a, in a more accessible way, rather than it being about like anti-racist, anti-sexist thought, it's literally like, where is the love between humans so i'm curious what was your experience with with the reading yeah i um i started reading it and i i started taking some notes uh, immediately because um it's funny i as i've gotten older i i feel like i'm getting a little softer and not as <laughs> edgier and often i think like you know coming from a place of love and understanding is is harder than it sounds because it's easier to have those negative habits of being like judgmental and kind of protecting oneself you know it makes you more vulnerable to to show love because you can get hurt um and you know uh i was kind of taken uh, immediately from i wrote down a couple of things like the um, about black feminism uh, you know blurring the lines um with it she said it incendiary and obnoxious to use uh for the bringing in lesbianism or bisexuality or sexuality with feminism. I mean, all those things are connected. You, you can be one or the other, but it's not inclusive. I guess, I, you know, you don't have to be one to be the other. Um, and that feminism is not a matter of sexuality, you know? I mean, you know, everybody has a sexuality, but right. it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna be a good feminist. Right, one way or the other, yeah. yeah. I think one of the things that really resonated with me was the the preface to the actual presentation being, you know, trying to find a way in which to present this this introduction to a writing conference that is focusing on feminism in black communities and try and, and, and June Jordan's essentially like walking herself through or walking us through her thought process in how do we present this, right, this, again, incendiary and, and pa impassioned kind of discussion and position it in the framework that it needs to be positioned in without alienating an entire group of people. Um, yeah, it was, it was funny, uh, the, the part where she's like walking through the auditorium and the outside area and everybody's kind of just clustered in their like groups and aren't really talking to anybody outside of it. I was like, oh man, that is such a metaphor for life, I guess. 
I mean, it's it's interesting. I think especially because I'm I, I've been thinking about the readings and trying to relate them to our work, um, doing everything in Chevy Chase uh, for the Black Lamp Black Broad Branch Project, um, and the sentiment of and it's not too present really in this so much as it is in the Combahee River Collective, which I should have sent you, but it's essentially this, this premise of collective freedom that is presented and juxtaposing the freedom of black women with the freedom of black men. And then how, and I think that, that it's, it's, it's really prevalent. I give this example all the time. It's, it's really prevalent in, like the, the, the fight for suffrage where black women and black men were advocating for, for universal suffrage, but because black men were men, they got the right to vote first. And then it became out of necessity, right? That women together, black and white, were now advocating for women's suffrage. And even before women as a, as a, as a collective were granted the right to vote, there were schisms there where there was Absolutely. an movement where it was, you know, black women don't necessarily need the right to vote, but we're white. We need the right to vote. Like, like as, as, a, as a right we have based on the color of our skin, it's a necessity. And that example brings me back to Black Broad Branch because I'm thinking about the fight to rename the park. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about that too. Mary Harris. Yeah, exactly. It should be Harris Pointer, Pointer Harris Park. Yeah, yeah. Not even that. It should, be, it should just be Harris Park because mm -hmm. he wasn't there, right? Like, Very true. For context, right? Like, like for the record, <laughs> you know, Mary Harris is the direct descendant of a man named George Pointer. George Pointer is born a slave in 1773. He's a slave for 19 years. And when he buys his freedom, he buys land in Georgetown. He gets married. Uh, in his in his dying years, his, his daughter moved to Chevy Chase and bought this land and raised her, her family on this land. And that's the land in question. And, and they essentially say, well, George Pointer's story, the man, the patriarch of the family is, is so inspiring that we have to name the park after him. We have to. And the descendants, right, had this really bright idea of going with Pointer Harris or Harris Pointer some combination of the two but it is this predominantly white historic society composed mostly as men but this project kind of headed by one woman um essentially decided no we're gonna go to i think it's like friends of chase is the organization and say you know what do you guys think and they're like no we like lafayette so now it's named after two black men and <laughs> Right, right. That it, it, that's what it is. Uh, yeah. Strange, strange kind of just connections that I'm starting to see between the things I've been doing and like reading things like this and going, "Wow, that was a missed opportunity." You know. Yeah, like you, we can celebrate the George Pointer's life separately from the park. You know. Yeah, your Harris obviously got something from George uh, Pointer, like that, that was made very smart. It, it created this family for her to do the things she did, but she, that, that was her land. Right. You know? And they were smart enough to subdivide it, keep it within the family, you know, and let, 
yeah, I, I've, I've definitely, that, that bothered me. I like just in the reading, I wrote down, um, what, uh, Georgia Douglas Johnson, whose mm. poem she put in there. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was just how you never hear thinking about, you know, it's like, oh, she's part of the Harlem Renaissance, but you never really hear about the women. Yeah, yeah it, it blew my mind as I was sitting there reading and I was like, I don't know who that is. And then I like saw like the recorder of deeds and I was like, why don't I know who that is? And (laughs) like, I've I've looked at the deeds in the district. Why don't I know who that is? And I think that I'm I'm sitting there challenging myself to like start reciting authors from the Harlem Renaissance as I'm reading. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. And that's a crazy thing to, to think about. Um, we are well over time. So Natasha, thank you. to the second episode of On the Same Page. Uh, my name is Corey Shaw. I'm here with Mariana Barros-Titus and Benji de la Piedra. Uh, and we're going to engage in a relatively brief discussion of black feminism and uh, sexuality. And um, I'm going to start just kind of jumping in, toss a question to you, Mariana. Um, I'm wondering if you can speak to the, the value of sexuality um, for women, and then in turn, who gets to benefit from that? I'm thinking in particular about um, artists like Rick James and Prince in comparison to the way comedians use womanhood kind of as a, as a source of profit. That's a good question. I think for, within a lens of Black feminism, you're really able to appreciate the ways in which um, images have been historically formed to either benefit womanhood or add value to womanhood or to deconstruct it um in the i know patricia hill collins has talked a lot about this and the ways in which sexuality has been framed um throughout history and i think a big part of it for me is like who gets to define sexuality and who gets to um, like we said, benefit from it. Um, so for example, to your point about Rick James, you have, um, in a lot of ways when women are empowered to, um, live in their sexuality, um, take control of it, they're often, uh, deemed as sexually, uh, promiscuous, mm. right? Or as the freak, as um, Patricia Hill Collins t- talks about in her um, Black Feminist Thought book. Um, however, on the other hand, when women's sexuality is portrayed to the benefit of heteronormative sexuality in those terms, then it's like displayed as a virtue. Um, mm. But in some ways, you're still like, you know, the freaky woman, right? It, there's always like a, a defining, so it's like this this constant balance. And I think in today's terms, like to have um, an empowered sexual woman, it's still kind of seen as, oh, you are outside of the, the scopes of, of normal society. 
and um, as a woman, as a woman of color, as a woman of color who's trying to like find myself and define myself for myself, that can be incredibly infuriating mm. to see the ways in which men's sexuality is um, accepted, it is celebrated, um, and at the same time, women's sexuality is very limited to in a lot of ways but you know what black feminism also gives you the language and the lens to be able to appreciate how like because of the definitions that we have put on women's sexuality and then the opposite of that being men's sexuality we've actually limited men in the way in which they can express themselves too Mm. and like how we um define sexuality in general like you know whether men have to be the aggressor or like do they have to be you know and and those kinds of things are um like i said black feminism allows you and gives you the the language to not only examine the ways in which women have been um harmed by this imagery but also the ways in which men have been limited by it Mm. i appreciate your input i actually have um a situation that i dealt with at work that i'd like your your feedback on um i used to work at the container store and while i was there I had a coworker. Um, we were working together in an area that was not really an area anybody wanted to be working in. We were both pretty unhappy about it. Um, and we were there and we were working and she got pulled away by a customer and she came back and she seemed pretty upset. I thought she was upset. And so I, I asked, you know, are, are you okay? And she says, uh, yeah, I'm fine. And we went back to work and about, you know, a minute later she comes back to me and she says, you know, you should be really careful about that. And I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? She goes, uh, assuming that women have to be smiling for them to be okay or that, you know, they have to be, they have to be like actively presenting their emotions, the ways in which society has kind of deemed women to be hysterical and ultra expressive. Um, and I was kind of taken back and I'm still very much taken back, um, because that's not how I meant it, but I'm wondering how, as a man right now working in an, in an environment that is dominated by women, um, to what degree should I be conscious? And then to what degree does that, is that right, Benji? Conscientiousness. Yes, conscientiousness. The ways in which my conscientiousness kind of goes from being genuine to superfluous and just kind of being, um, walking on eggshells in, in some sense. I mean, to a certain extent, awareness makes you walk on eggshells right Mm. but i think all of it is contextual too (laughs) like depending on on where you are um she she has a point and you know what more power to her to to have been able to like identify and give language to for herself understanding that there have been certain expectations of women particularly black women who are working in service industry Mm. in general um to like appear a certain way and good for her and, and good for her for claiming. I think um, in terms of like how to um, apply your conscientiousness, I, I I can't speak for all women, right? And I'm not gonna attempt to to do that. But I think ultimately what it boils down to is like consent, like con- mm. consent in the way in which like, if you really are, are engaging with someone, and seeing them as an equal, then whatever boundaries they put out for you should be respected. Right. And 
And so long as you stay within that framework, then you should be okay. And I think it's also important to understand that despite whatever intention you might have, um, if someone experiences the practicality of that extent of that intention a certain way, then having the humility to be like, oh, I'm sorry that that made you feel that way. I can understand how that makes you feel. And, um, and you go from there. Especially when, like, for so long, as you said, like, women have had these very prescriptive roles that you can play. And so anything outside of that is just, like, it's new territory for you. It's new territory for me. It's new territory for everybody. Hmm. Okay. Thank you, guys. Welcome to the second episode of On the Same Page. Uh, my name is Corey Shaw. I'm here with Mariana Barros-Titus and Benji de la Piedra. Uh, And we're going to engage in a relatively brief discussion of black feminism and uh, sexuality. And um, I'm going to start just kind of jumping in, toss a question to you, Mariana. Um, I'm wondering if you can speak to the the value of sexuality um, for women and then in turn, who gets to benefit from that. I'm thinking in particular about... um, artists like Rick James and Prince in comparison to the way comedians use womanhood kind of as a, as a source of profit? That's a good question. I think for, within a lens of black feminism, you're really able to appreciate the ways in which um, images have been historically formed to either benefit womanhood or add value to womanhood or to deconstruct it. Um, I, in the, I know Patricia Hill Collins has talked a lot about this and the ways in which sexuality has been framed um, throughout history. And I think a big part of it for me is like who gets to define sexuality and who gets to, um, like we said, benefit from it. Um, so for example, to your point about Rick James, you have um, in a lot of ways when women are empowered to um, live in their sexuality, um, take control of it, they're often uh, deemed as sexually per- uh, promiscuous, mm-hmm. right? Or as the freak, as um, Patricia Hill Collins t- talks about in her um, Black Feminist Thought book. Um, however, On the other hand, when women's sexuality is portrayed to the benefit of heteronormative sexuality in those terms, then it's like displayed as a virtue. Um, Hmm. But in some ways, you're still like, you know, the freaky woman, right? There's always like a, a, a defining. So it's like this this constant balance. And I think in today's terms, like to have um, an empowered sexual woman, it's still kind of seen as, oh, you are outside of the, the scopes of, of normal society. And um, as a woman, as a woman of color, as a woman of color who's trying to like find myself and define myself for myself, that can be incredibly infuriating mm. to see the ways in which men's sexuality is um, accepted, it is celebrated, um, 
and at the same time women's sexuality is very limited to in a lot of ways but you know what black feminism also gives you the language and the lens to be able to appreciate how like because of the definitions that we have put on women's sexuality and then the opposite of that being men's sexuality we've actually limited men in the way in which they can express themselves too Mm. and like how we um define sexuality in general like you know whether men have to be the aggressor or like do they have to be you know and and those kinds of things are um like i said black feminism allows you and gives you the the language to not only examine the ways in which women have been um harmed by this imagery but also the ways in which men have been limited by it Mm. i appreciate your input i actually have um a situation that i dealt with at work that i'd like your your feedback on um i used to work at the container store and while i was there I had a coworker. Um, we were working together in an area that was not really an area anybody wanted to be working in. We were both pretty unhappy about it. Um, and we were there and we were working and she got pulled away by a customer and she came back and she seemed pretty upset. I thought she was upset. And so I, I asked, you know, are, are you okay? And she says, uh, yeah, I'm fine. And we went back to work and about, you know, a minute later she comes back to me and she says, you know, you should be really careful about that. And I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? She goes, uh, assuming that women have to be smiling for them to be okay or that, you know, they have to be, they have to be like actively presenting their emotions, the ways in which society has kind of deemed women to be hysterical and ultra expressive. Um, and I was kind of taken back and I'm still very much taken back um, because that's not how I meant it, but I'm wondering how, as a man right now working in an, in an environment that is dominated by women, um, to what degree should I be conscious? And then to what degree does that, is that right, Benji? Conscientiousness. Yes. Conscientiousness. The ways in which my conscientiousness kind of goes from being genuine to superfluous and just kind of being, um, walking on eggshells in, in some sense. I mean, to a certain extent, awareness makes you walk on eggshells, right? Mm. But I think all of it is contextual, too, <laughs> like depending on on where you are. Um, she she has a point, and you know what? More power to her to, to have been able to, like, identify and give language to for herself, understanding that there have been certain expectations of women, particularly Black women who are working in service industry mm. in general, um, to, like, appear a certain way. And good for her and and good for her for claiming i think um in terms of like how to um apply your conscientiousness i i i can't speak for all women right and i'm not gonna attempt to to do that but i think ultimately what it boils down to is like consent like consent Mm. in the way in which like if you really are, are engaging with someone and seeing them as an equal, then whatever boundaries they put out for you should be respected. Right. And and so long as you stay within that framework, then you should be okay. And I think it's also important to understand that despite whatever intention you might have, um, if someone experiences the practicality of that extent of that intention a certain way then having the humility to be like, oh, I'm sorry that that made you feel that way. I can understand how that makes you feel. And um, 
and you go from there. Mm. Especially when, like, for so long, as you said, like, women have had these very prescriptive roles that you can play, and so anything outside of that is just, like, it's new territory for you, it's new territory for me, it's new territory for everybody. Mm. Okay, thank you guys.